Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Asked by Ayana. I know we've been on a little break, but we're back and better than ever. And I'm so excited to share um, our guest story with y'all today. I'm joined by Charlene Carruthers, who is an author, activist, and award-winning filmmaker who just has such an interesting journey. I This is my first time actually talking with her, but have been reading up on her and the work she's done, and I'm just thrilled to have the opportunity for a conversation. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So it seems like you've had a pretty intense summer <laughs> in a good way with your with your new film. I'd love to hear about it. For sure. You know, we set out uh, last year to make this short film, The Funnel, uh, which is a story about a young Black woman who is a poet and is navigating Chicago's housing crisis. And in the midst of you know trying to get some relief from the summer heat in her building, uh, she is essentially she has this experience that connects her with an ancestor and in a world, frankly, that she's never known. And so when we set out to uh, really start to develop this film, I didn't realize that by, you know, August or I didn't think that by August of 2022, things would be like really, really kick into high gear. And so, um, you know, I was deeply inspired by his, these histories of these young, rebellious um, black women uh, living at the turn of the of the 20th century and also uh, as, as the 20th century advanced. And so for me, it's it's the summer has absolutely been busy and it's 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 been refreshing to see how people are receiving this story that takes us back into time. I love what I've read from you also about the film and the tie-ins with today's housing injustice and how this is unfortunately still a very present problem, you know, in our communities. What feedback have you gotten? I, as I said, you've, you've won an award. So I know the feedback has to be good. <laughs> but overall, what has it been like? A couple things folks have said. This is a really black film. It's very, very black. And I'm like, yes, that's that's, that's <laughs> part of the goal. That's what we want. Um, you know, I'm born and raised in Chicago. Uh, my grandmothers uh, on both sides, my maternal and paternal grandmothers migrated from Mississippi to Chicago. And, um, you know, with them, they carried a lot of Southern culture and, you know, Chicagoans, as uh, Dr. Uh, Darlene Clark Hines says, we're uh, Southern Northerners and Northern Southerners. Like, so we have a mixture of regional cultures, but then also Black people from around the world also um, come to and live in Chicago, people with various uh, backgrounds and experiences. And so it was it 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 has. So people have given that sort of feedback, but it's really reflective of like my investment um, and commitment in telling more complete stories about black people's lives. Because I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, when we tell more complete stories about our lives, we can actually be in a better position to develop more complete solutions for the challenges and the dilemmas and the, the issues and problems that we experience within our communities um, and across communities. The other piece that I, of feedback that I've received about the film is that it's not an explainer on being black and queer or black and trans. It's just there. Like mm -hmm. people are just there and people can feel that 
the film is not trying to explain to people a certain thing, but like as, as, as if this is a story outside of black experience, but is a part of what many black people have experienced. The other thing that people consistently say, and I think this is a huge credit to our director of photography, Alexis Shinnery, and our um, our team who led um, the lighting for the film, is people talk about how beautiful uh, black folks' skin looked in this film. Because we have uh, people of many different shades and hues in, in the film. And then also our colorist. So there, it took a lot of people um, to really bring together the visual component um, of what people ultimately saw. So those are just some of the things that... Oh, and then lastly, I'll say is that people want to see more of our characters. That's the the other thing that I hear a lot of. And they're like, oh, I want more. And we want to give folks more. We actually, like, um, my goal, my dream is for us to have the opportunity to tell the stories on film, on camera, of each character in in in, in the funnel. Very cool. It's, it's so interesting to hear about. I love what you said about you know, it just being like a black, queer, black trans experience without, without you kind of having to explain it. I've talked to other black creatives on this show about the expectations that people sometimes put on sharing black stories that they don't really do, you know, with other groups or or other types of storytelling. Um, So yeah, I I think it's, it's really awesome to have art that just is, I feel like that's so needed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, again, going back to telling more complete stories about Black people's lives, of course, uh, we're not the first to make a film that, you know, has people who are Black and um, within the LGBTQ plus community. We absolutely exist in a lineage of Black queer filmmaking, Black Mm -hmm. gay and lesbian filmmaking, um, where people like Marlon Riggs and Cheryl Dunyay are just two amongst two of the filmmakers that uh, I think of and like where are we situated in lineage of, of black cinema and in particular black queer cinema uh, and knowing that we're building on something and extending it, but we haven't invented the idea of having um, black LGBTQ plus uh, people and stories uh, on film. Right. So I'd love to take it back a little because a big part of the podcast is learning more about someone's journey and kind of where you started and and how you ended up where you are. I know that you mentioned that you grew up in Chicago, and then we've also talked about you being an author and an activist on top of a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid, if someone asked you? Oh, someone asked me, I said I wanted to be an attorney. And very specifically, I thought <laughs> I thought I wanted to be a prosecutor. And as oh, wow. I know, was very far away from my values, and I'll say why. So prosecutors largely in the United States serve the function of, you know, deciding whether to lock someone up in prison or jail and to punish them. And um, oftentimes, uh, as Black people, we are disproportionately targeted by police, by policing in communities across this country and are well overrepresented in, I, overrepresented isn't the right word because we shouldn't be represented at all, in, in my view, in, in the U.S. Uh, criminal legal system. And so prosecutors at large in this country play a function of 
of, of punishing people, um, particularly especially black and brown people. And today, thanks to black feminists in my life, in my life, um, the the work, the organizing work that I've been able to do, the people I've been able to build relationships with, I've developed a commitment, a practice, and an understanding of 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 what is called um, prison industrial complex abolition or for short, many people say abolition or PIC abolition. And that is that is the belief in also the take the active, like actively um, uh, working towards creating a world where we deal with conflict, harm and violence without prisons, policing and punishment, where we transform the way that we relate to one another and even the, the way that we relate to, to the very land that we live on. Uh, we and it's, it, it is, yes, about tearing down systems. But what I've been taught about the black feminists in my life is that abolition requires us to build. It requires us to build. And Ruthie Ruth Wilson Gilmore always says that, you know, abolition is presence. It is about what is present. And as, as an abolitionist, abolitionist, my job is to create the presence of things that our people deserve. And so for me, like this film is another opportunity to add more presence and, and not just the film that people saw, but the process of making the film. So we had a, a community safety um, person on our community safety liaison on our, in our, on our crew. And that person was tasked with and responsible for cultivating a safe environment on our set that did not include police officers. Police officers are a common thing on film sets. Mm-hmm. And for us, um, it was really important to think, how can we keep each other safe um, without defaulting to that system or defaulting to that institution? And knowing that the Chicago Police Department is the second largest tied with the Los Angeles in the country, only second to the New York Police Department, um, knowing that they have an ongoing record of being very violent um, towards our people, like that is their function to, to, to control and to surveil. And sure, people may have some, you know, good stories here and there for sure, but they respond to things. They don't actually prevent things from happening if they respond at all. Um, So for us, we were like, how can we practice abolition on our set by creating the sort of environment that is reflective of those values and those practices? So for me, it's like full circle. Um, It's about, you know, when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to do a thing. And then I learned a little bit more about how this country deals with what our government and corporations, who they consider to be problems and who government, government, our governments, our local national governments consider to be problems and issues to be pushed to the side or to be punished. And so I learned that over the years that that's, I, I, I it, at the root of it, it was about help, what I thought was helping people. That's mm. what I thought it was the root. And so over the years, I was able to learn that there are other ways to help people that don't involve uh, uh, separating people from their families and actually not, in, in my understanding, getting any real accountability when someone has actually harmed another person, because that does absolutely happen. People harm other people, commit acts, acts of violence against other people. Um, the work that I do now is about how might we deal with those things differently um, so they cannot happen again. And uh, so that the people who experience them both enact them and experience them are actually restored um, and perhaps transformed in the experience as opposed to um, the, the wounds 
that 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 are perpetuated and um, left open by the current systems we have in place today. I really enjoyed hearing that full circle journey. So thank you for sharing it, because I think that it, just speaking for myself as a child, you're given like a very like black and white linear, like this is good. This is bad. These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. And when you actually come of age and start to learn how the world works, I feel like for a lot of us, that's an experience where it's like, wait a minute, this is not what I thought it was. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool to, to hear how, uh, how that has kind of like, you're helping people, which is what you always wanted to do. It's just mm-hmm. looks very different yep. from what you imagine. That's right. um, so talk to me about the kind of like, I don't want to say transformation, but but your path into filmmaking and, and how that came about. Is that something that you've always wanted to do or, or just what, what's that been like for you? For sure. So I wanted, so let me back up. I've been a film lover for a very long time. When I lived in New York City, I used to see everything that Array, it was called Array at the point, uh, at, at that time, that um, Ava DuVernay's distribution company that she put out. I would go see everything. Um, I remember one time going with a friend and seeing like three films in one day. Like, and it was like, uh, like it, there was a ray. Like we see, we saw the iron lady and two other, I don't even remember the other films, but they were, there were, there was a range of films we saw in one day. Cause I'll see, I'll see almost anything. Like I'll watch almost anything on on film except and the things that I won't watch are usually films that involve a lot of pain and like physical right. trauma and horror like I don't I don't tend to do those things but so it's it, it really started for me as a lover uh, as a film lover and then you know I I started to write I'm, I'm in the process of also writing a novel and I over the years I've gotten more and more comfortable with myself as a as identifying and accepting and embracing. I think embracing is actually the best word. Embracing myself as a storyteller. Like mm-hmm. I am a storyteller. And so in 2020, I was awarded the Margaret E. Casey Freedom Scholar Fellowship. And with that um, came a, a, an actual like monetary um, award. And so I was like, what do I want to do with this award? What do I want to do with this? So I knew I wanted to give money back to movement. I gave a good chunk of it to, to movement-based organizations um, that have been impactful in my life and just organizations that I, I, I felt compelled to support. And then I also knew that I wanted to do some educational things. And then third, uh, just for myself, my own enrichment. And then third, I was like, I know I want to make a film. And I wrote a script in a class. I wrote a script in a class after being inspired by Sadia Hartman's book, Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments. And I and and I wrote the screenplay after like a few years of saying I wanted to make a film, but I didn't know how I was gonna do it. And I didn't go to film school and I don't think I'm gonna go to film school. Um, so I meet after I wrote the screenplay, I was well, while and after I started to do research, how first of all I had to learn how to write a screenplay. Um, I'm a writer. I wrote, you know, I write, I usually, but I usually wrote, I would usually write, excuse me, usually write nonfiction. So the novel writing process, and then I also started to dip into poetry. Well, I think they really, they prepared me to pursue, like to actually write the screenplay. Um, so I, I did some study. Um, I watched a number of masterclasses, workshops, did a few workshops. 
just really like started to try to learn the actual craft. And because I had the resources to do it, I was able to start to assemble a team of people to help make it happen. And that's really it. And I always knew that I wanted to, to make a film. And I'm actually, I just wrapped uh, principal photography on another short film yesterday. So like mm. film directing for me, it wasn't a one-time thing. I'm not done. Uh, filmmaking is not a one-time thing for me. Um, it's To me, it's a medium to tell stories and to politicize people in ways um, that are different from grassroots organizing in some ways and different from a protest in some ways because it's all theater in more ways than one. Um, it's about staging productions and working with people and building relationships. So yeah, that, that's, that's the, I guess, the shorter, long version of how I got into filmmaking. Yeah, that's, I, gosh, I love that. I mean, I think that it's an industry where, at least for me, an outsider, that I would picture, you know, so many barriers to entry to making a film that people watch and love and connect with and resonate with. So it's 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 so just inspiring to hear what you've done and, and to hear how you did it, especially as someone who, you know, didn't go to school for this and, and, and kind of just taught yourself a lot of it. I think that's really, really, really interesting. Thank you. This is a little bit tangential, but I'm just curious because I know that you've been doing activism for a long time that you're not new to it. Um, you know, I started my podcast only a few months after the summer of 2020 and all that that entailed. Mm. And I feel like I've had a lot of conversations with fellow Black people about what that time was like. And I'm just curious because you are someone who at that point was already a well-established activist. Just speaking for myself, just as, you know, someone with a social media platform, I was overwhelmed with requests and messages and comments from like well-meaning white people who were kind of just like, there was just so much. It's, it's hard to even, <laughs> hard to even highlight the, the stuff I was receiving. But um, what did you notice just at protests and, and the response you were getting? Like, did you notice a difference or, or did, I, I'm just curious whether or not you had, you know, a similar experience. Oh, I think, you know, I, the summer of 2020, by then I wasn't organizing full time, like on a regular basis. Like that wasn't my primary role in movement. I had transitioned out of my role as national director in BYP 100. And I was really at that point focused on a support role. And I'd been doing that um, for the past, like the previous two years. And especially the, the previous year, like I was working with folks in Minneapolis the year before George Floyd mm. was killed. Um, in Minnesota the year before George Floyd was killed. And um, so when that happened, when he was killed and the protests, the uprisings happened and continued to grow, I was like, what What can I do to, to support people? I'm not really trying to like organize. I wasn't right. organizing anyone. I was supporting the organizers. Um, mm -hmm. So I went to actions here in Chicago that were led by high school students and, and mm -hmm. youth and like, let, I'm, I'm not speaking. I'm not even going to ask to speak. Have them don't even know who I am. Ain't even concerned about that, about what I, what I've done. I'm going to figure out how I could be on the safety team and just like 
apply what I've learned with actions to help keep people as safe as possible. Right. Um, so that's what I was doing. And I, you know, I fielded some media requests um, for sure, but that just wasn't where I was trying to be. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was trying to be of service. Like if, if, if moving, if the movement for black lives formation, like if their folks reached out and there was a thing that, that I could be a service and I could do to be helpful, then I was down for it. But, um, there were, I, yeah, I, I found, I intentionally <laughs> showed up as support for people in that particular moment. I also like wrote poetry and shared poetry, um, uh, with people. So I, I just took up some different forms, uh, in that moment. And I was able to do that because I was in a different role. Like had I been in a leadership role in an organization, my experience would have been very different. And when right. it came to white people, I don't know. I think they might know already how to, <laughs> what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. Right. So is, you know, since it has been some years, I don't really feel, I don't feel those requests and they yeah. don't usually come to me as much. Um, yeah. Sometimes they do, but I think that uh, I'm here. Like I get more requests from black and brown folks and that's what I'm here for. Right. Yeah. 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 No, that I think is honestly better. <laughs> I learned a lot from my experience and I think that it, um, it definitely taught me boundaries and kind of priorities. Yeah. It would just would not recommend providing free labor to random people in your direct messages. I, I learned that the hard way, but um, because that was such an interesting time for me personally, um, you know, with the interactions I was having, I, I just always, I always think it's interesting to talk about. So I appreciate you sharing your experience. You know, Ayanna, I would just add that I, you know, there was a time where, I, where there have been plenty of times and they, there continue to be times where I have to assert a boundary or readjust mm. and figure out, I'm not great at it. Like I'm not, I'm not perfect at it. I should say around setting boundaries. Like I've had, like there were times, absolutely, especially in my earlier years of doing this work where my boundaries were very thin. I let a lot mm. of stuff happen. So I don't want to this this is where I am now after over 15 right. years of doing the thing, but it surely is not where I've always been. Right. Yeah. Well, that's also encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Work in progress for sure. Okay. Um, I just wanted to end by asking you whether you have any advice for Black filmmakers or Black creatives who are just trying to find a way to tell stories that are important to them. My advice for people is to not beat yourself up if your projects aren't moving at the same rate as everyone else's projects seem to be moving. As I said earlier, one of the biggest barriers to to filmmaking is having the money to do it. And I had the money to do it the first time. So that (laughs) Mm -hmm. makes a difference. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. Um, And so I think what, what, I'm thinking about for my next film is that I have to be a lot more creative because I don't have that money to be able to to um, do that. So I'm going to have to fundraise in a different way than I had to for the for the first um, for the funnel. And so comparison is absolutely like just immobilizing. And it's about for me, it's about focusing on what I have in front of me, behind me and on my sides in order to carry forth the thing that I want to see. Um, and being scratching the word realistic, um, and I, I put air quotes around realistic and really embracing like possibility and um, 
uh, risk taking and being steadfast um, towards what is important. And then the other thing I would say is, is particularly if filmmaking is one of the things you do, don't forget the other skill sets and experiences that you have that you that you've developed and you've sharpened and honed the lessons you've learned from other areas of your life is more likely than not, they will apply to filmmaking as well. Well, thank you so much for that. I am not, I'm nowhere near a filmmaker, but I feel like I can learn from, from what you just said. So I, I really appreciate it. Where can people connect with you and find out more about the film? Uh, you know, I'll write it all out on the notes, but I just wanted to give you a chance to plug whatever you want to plug. Of course. So folks can check out more information on The Funnel um, at thefunnelfilm.com. Um, screening locations um, where it's particularly virtual screenings where people will be able to see it online. Um, also, um, we're on Instagram at The Funnel Film. On all social media platforms, The Funnel Film. I'm on Twitter, Charlene CAC, and also Instagram, Charlene Carruthers. And my website is charlenecarruthers.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Asked by Ayana. I hope that you enjoyed the listen. If you're looking for a way to support the podcast, taking the time to leave a rating or review or sharing it with someone who you think may enjoy it is a huge help and goes a long way. See you next week. Thank you.